Because that wasn't what Jesus meant. He was saying, when it comes to protecting yourself spiritually, do what needs to be done. If you have to cut something off because you're not capable of handling it, and guess what? You start to get the idea whether you really can. You know, Skip was talking about some things, you know, we can sort of handle in moderation, and there are some things that maybe um, we realize that they're just totally out of bounds for us because they're maybe not totally wrong on themselves, but they lead us into a pathway where it just becomes a pattern. We know if this happens and this happens, this is going to happen. And so the solution is you got to stop it on the front end or because by the time you get there, you got no power. Your hair has been cut off, and Samson's just a mere man. And where did that happen? It happened over some woman. And that's where a lot of us get nailed. It's right there. And I was thinking about that verse, you know, when Jesus talked about it. And I was looking at uh, in Proverbs 5. We'll just do it real quick, real quick. Proverbs 5, verse 1. And I, I'm not supposed to take, I wasn't even supposed to do this. This is supposed to be done earlier, but again, the mass exodus, uh, you know. Okay, all right. <laughs> all right, all right. Okay, first one. Um, and my son, pay, pay attention to my, my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge for the lips of an immoral woman drip honey and her mouth is smoother than oil, but in the end she is as bitter as wormwood. Sharp as a two-edged sword, her feet go down to death, her, hell, her steps lay hold of hell, lest you ponder her, pa the pa her path of life, her ways are unstable, you do not know them. Therefore hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her. Do not go near, key word, near, key word, near the door of her house. Lest you give honor to others and your years. Think about what we've been talking about. You give your years away to who? To the cruel one. Who is the cruel one? Who is the one that wants to complete? We already talked about it. Ephesians 6 tells us that there is a stratagem of hell designed to completely undermine the purposes of God for our life, and we give our years away, unrecoverable years, stolen, given away, like a fool. That's the fool. He's talking about a fool. To the cruel one, lest aliens be filled with your wealth, that is, foreigners get your blessing. Someone else gets the blessing. It was meant for you. Your labors go to the house of a foreigner. You, foreigner, you mourn at last you, when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, I've hated instruction. I've been a fool. I've hated instruction. I've despised instruction. I have despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I didn't listen. I got willful and foolish. I was, and then, it, you know, you can go on here. We go on, I'll just close with verse 14. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. This whole idea, I mean, total ruin is quite a statement. But the whole idea, don't even go near to her house. Of the, what is a principle here? Space creation is a big deal when you're in trouble. Space creation, that is separation. Separation is huge when you're under fire and your knees are weak. When you've barely got anything and you're running on fumes and the devil's got you on the ropes, one of the best things you can do is do what Joseph did do, and that was he ran, he got out of there, he cut off the avenue that the enemy was using to exploit him. Sometimes it is a desperate movement, but the bottom line is you live. And I'm saying is there's enough things that are important to take intense measures to deal with them. And then fourthly, fourth point, accountability and friendships. Can't underestimate the value of accountability and friendships in the role that they play. And many of you know about this. The value, is, the value of a men's group, Skip said it great. I mean, he was talking about how, you know, we can share our heart. And um, it was interesting. I'll just mention this. Skip told that story about um, how I got blessed by that letter in my mailbox. Um, <laughs> And because uh, we were talking about the fear of the Lord, because he got he got a un unenjoyable letter to him uh, in his box from somebody decided not to give, but they gave their they didn't give any money, but they gave their opinion, and uh, they didn't that told me enough as well, but they didn't they they used an offering envelope to write a note to Skip that wasn't a blessing to him, and then I said, hey bro, you know. 
You just got to get used to it. So it just kind of goes with the turf. And uh, we were talking. I said, but you know what? I said, I'll tell you. I if I was so I I would really be careful about what I touch. That person has no clue. Here's the problem: if if you are from God, and they touch that, they're not messing with you. They're messing with the Lord, and that's a scary thing to me. And I and I thought, you know, this. And I was ten, and then I said, you know, I was telling them about the how I personally I have the fear of God in me. Um, I've been under leadership that I didn't always agree with, but I knew they were. I knew that they were anointed of the Lord. David, even when Saul was disconnected from God, he still had the crown. And David had the anointing, and he still wouldn't touch him. Delivered into his hands, he said, no, I won't touch the anointed of the Lord. He feared the Lord. He knew what it would do to his anointing, and he left it. That's, that's the irony, of course, with Saul. He was hunting the most loyal man in the kingdom. I was thinking about accountability and friendship. This person left the note. It was funny. It was right before I went on my family vacation. And basically, in the note, it says something like, you know, you betrayed your grandfather. Um, that was one shot across the bow. Um, I can't remember because I stuck it in the, uh, in the uh, shredder. Exactly. It was, in my, it was, it was just, <laughs> I said, I, you know. But then they, they said something about, you, you know, we, you, you basically have 30 days before you're judged. What? <laughs> yeah. And so, and so, I mean, I was, I was given a 30-day notice. Judgment. <laughs> and I went, and, you know, the thing is, it kind of rocked me a little bit, just a tad. I mean, I, I get stuff, but no, usually, I, I mean, I had a, if somebody found my house address, stuck it in my garage, just happened to be in there, this is the day I'm leaving on a vacation with my family, right? And I'm thinking, oh, somebody's, you know, praise, somebody's blessing me, right? I'm going, somebody's blessing me, it's going to be encouragement. I open it up and it's like, you're cursed, right? And 30 days, surely you're, you will be found out. I started thinking, hmm. I was trying to think of in my head, is there anything that I had that I was, that I was trying to hide? It will, and so I... It really, first, that was my first thought was, what have I, have I done? I, I don't think I have, Lord. And the second thing is, who, then I got mad. I said, who is this? And they didn't even sign their name. And so, you know, I got, but you know what? The enemy bugged me on that. I had a, many different types of emotions. That's probably what, the per, if it was one of you guys, uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, but it, 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 don't get any ideas. I mean, I'm, I'm getting thicker skin by the moment, no. But the thing is, the, the thing was, it really bugged me because on the one hand, I got really mad. So I already, and then I was going, man, you know, and it's, it's funny. Now I'm waiting 30, I was waiting 30, I had a celebration on the 30th day, right? I was like, you know, but no, truly, what happened was I called David, here's the reason I brought the story up, is because I called David Brickner, who's a friend, some of you know David, he's, he's the director of Jews for Jesus, and I've established a real uh, friendship with David, and um, I'll talk with him, he's kind of an accountability, we, we've been spending more time with each other, and we share things, and he, I, I called him up, it was, it, you know, it bothered me enough to where I go, can you believe this, and and, um, you know, they made it, when they brought my grandfather into it, talk about how, because it had to do with somebody not being able to have free worship. Some, and I was, you know, I don't know, what, I can't remember all the details, but I said, you know, but it hit you hard, because it's like, they're attacking, the, you know, it's like I'm betraying somebody, and then I'm getting, and so was, I called him up, and you know, he just really, he quoted me a psalm. He said, the words are going to fall to the ground. He really was a friend to me. It strengthened my, he strengthened my hand at that moment. I needed that, that hand to be strengthened. The value of friend, the value of accountability, the value of being able to just say, hey, you know what, here's a, this is something the enemy sent my way. It's troubling to me, bothered me, made me mad. And so it's good. I'm not just saying that it's important to have friendships that are spiritual, that, can, that people can speak life into us and, and strengthen us when we need to be strengthened. The last thing around that is to build a healthy habit. So the first one, if three is avoid, then four is to strengthen and nourish in our inner man, to pour ourselves into uh, doing things like what we're doing here and uh, our devotional life, um, you know, praying, taking time to be a, a man of the word, uh, study, read good books, uh, have a, a single eye. Jesus talked about the value of a single eye. If I had more time, we'd talk about Job and how he made a covenant with his eye. Well, 
So this whole idea of, of, of one, sometimes there's just this need to continually nourish ourselves to strengthen our hand. Okay, we're going to shift over because of time frames issues. To, I want to go to my other study. And this is going to, so we're going to shift now over to Saul. I want to talk about uh, this man, this figure. So turn with me to 1 Samuel 9, verse number 1. Just... There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel. Gives you a little bit of the genealogy. And he, and he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. Verse 2, 1 Samuel 9. And there was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. And from his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. So he stood out in a couple of different ways. I mean, he just, he was bigger than everybody else. He was strikingly handsome. He looked like what you would have wanted, a, a, you know, a prototypical kind of leader from a purely physical standpoint to look like. And it says that this was Saul. Saul, this man who looked like a leader, and we come to find out that he actually did have the gift of leadership. And, in the, and if we define leadership as the ability to get people, and there's many definitions, but one would be, influ- be able to influence some to help people move towards something, um, helping them achieve what they want to achieve. But to me, the idea is if you're not a leader, if no one will follow you. You can call yourself a leader. You can say I'm a leader. But if nobody's following you, you're just taking a walk. Because uh, at the end of the day, Leadership is about people being willing to follow and to walk with you where you're going. And uh, the people followed. They, they followed in a good way. They wanted a king. They wanted a leader. And uh, he, one of the things that hap- characterized him, check this out, initially, it's kind of ironic because it becomes his downfall, which is a lesson for us. But the, initially, one of the things that characterized him was his humility. Humility. He was, he was humble. And, and in that sense, he is a tragic figure. Because he had, he had these great moments, these good moments. He led Israel to many victories. He mastered many of his foes. He was a mighty, mighty warrior. Powerful, vigilant soldier. Um, and yet, his tragedy lay, and just kind of set this out as, as the sort of beginning point for us. His tragedy was that he never learned to master himself. And by the end of his life, he had completely lost contact with God. And the last half of his life is marked by paranoia, violent outbursts, and ultimately it ended with him committing suicide on the battlefield. But when one examines the life there is one episode, and I would, you know, and I'm thinking about next year at the men's retreat, and I'm, I'm hoping it could be sometime like around this time. But I'm thinking I'd like to spend a little more time talking about the dynamics of Saul and David and Samuel because it's really fascinating. You know what you have in those three guys? R.T. Kendall, a writer, and, the, and the, the guy who followed up, Martin Lloyd-Jones, at Westminster Chapel in London, who Martin Lloyd-Jones was the guy who followed up G. Campbell Morgan. So there's like this generational preachers. But R.T. Kendall said, Saul is a picture of yesterday's man, Samuel is a picture of today's man, and David is a picture of tomorrow's man. And I'll talk about that in a moment. He says, he, he talked about how Saul becomes yesterday's man because of choices he makes before God. But... When one examines the li- his life, there's one episode that stands out, and it's in the 15th chapter of Samuel. And so I want us to turn there, 1 Samuel 15. And it has to do with the slaughter of the Amalekites. And um, there is going to be an emerging theme of, of warfare tonight. But in many ways, it's a backdrop rather than the primary um, focus. As you know, last evening, just in case any of you you know, are getting here tonight. Last night, we had a film that was completely relational, 
and it, it was a whole different kind of a, a film than what we're going to watch tonight. But this particular uh, discussion is going to involve some area, issue of, of kind of uh, violence, and the Old Testament is violent. And it's both contextualized in its culture and also in the fact that it's, it's pre-coming of Christ, and it's a different era, it's a different way of God. God does not have intimate relationships with human beings. God, at times, moves, and he gives his word to guide, and he's trying to secure a people. There's a whole different dynamic in the Older Testament than the New Testament, which is why, historically, some of the uh, early church heresies tried to separate the Old Testament and basically say it really wasn't the Bible. But, of course, you cannot appreciate the, the tree of the New Testament without appreciating the root of the Old. The two are connected, and there is no way to appreciate Jesus, the book of Hebrews, all the epistles, the fulfillment of the law, everything, without having an awareness of the Older Testament. So the two are, are connected and intertwined, but they're different. One's pre-Christ, one's post, and it's a different era, a different way of God relating to human beings. Now, I say all that because in... in 15th chapter, God had commanded the utter extermination of both the people and possession of the Amalekites. Nothing was to be left. Part of the reason had to do with uh, how Amalek had treated Israel when the children of Israel had left Egypt and were attempting to get to the Promised Land. And you, could, you could read that for yourself if you wanted to in Deuteronomy 25, 17 through 19. Deuteronomy 25, 17 through 19, Moses tells Israel never, that, that ultimately this is going to be a mortal showdown of people. And the Amalekites, because they've stood in complete opposition to God's people, are going to be removed from the land completely. So it's a prophecy and a declaration. Again, that's a whole other study. We can, I would say this, never sit in judgment of God. That's the, that's the thing no one should ever do. People try to say, well, it's not loving. That God of the Old Testament isn't loving. How could he do it? And you read stuff and it's very intense. And you say, well, you know, because God basically is telling them to eliminate. That's a hard thing for me to understand. Um, one thing I, I always remind myself is, is that's not my place to sit in judgment of God and try to figure out why God asks certain things. It's God's earth, God's land, God's people. And God has the right, he's the giver of all life. He has the right to say when it is removed. But also, I know the Lord's heart because ultimately he sent Jesus to die for us. So I settle there in the justice of God. But having said all that, in any case, Paul was instructed to destroy everything. Let's see what he did. God told him to wipe out in this, this action, this activity, this warfare. Verse 7, it says, Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he also took Agag, the king of Amalek, and the Amalekites, alive. He utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But, verse 9, Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything despised and worthless, in parentheses, to them, they utterly destroyed. But he kept Agag and he spared the best. Verse 10, Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, this is an interesting verse, because can God regret something? Read it. I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me, and he has not performed my commandments. Now, let me just say that God's regrets are different than our regrets. They are not the regrets of, I can't believe what I've done. That's our regrets. Or, what a mistake I've made. God's regrets have to do with a sad, it's really his way of saying, I'm sad at what event has now transpired. I'm sad as to what has taken place. Basically, we see here that the regret that God had was the fact that Saul had changed. The change was in Saul, not in God. And because of the change that was in Saul, God's heart was, was being hurt, as it were, by his willfulness. He had turned from the Lord. And, and he has turned his back from following me. He has not performed my commandments. And one of the things we notice here is Samuel was also grieved. Notice, Samuel was the prophet. Samuel, listen, Saul was Samuel's man. Now, Samuel was the, the last of the judges. And he, 
he, he took it personally when God said, you know, when God said, give them the king, because Israel wanted a king. Israel wanted to be like other nations. Up until this point, they had no king. But they asked, they wanted a king. They wanted a leader. They wanted, they wanted to be more like the rest of the peoples. And Samuel's heart was broken. He was upset. He said, God, they turned, they've rejected me, and they turned on you. And God said, you know, give them what they want. Give them a king. And, then, and, and so when Samuel actually went and looked for a king, he lo- let me tell you something. Samuel loved Saul. He loved Saul. Saul was Samuel's man. I mean, this, this, there was an instant connection between... He loved him. He picked, he, this was his guy. He fought for him. You've got to keep that in the back of your mind. And it says here that, that, when, that when the news comes that the Lord is rejecting Saul that it grieves Samuel, and he cries out what? To the Lord all night. He's interceding. He cries to the Lord all night. He intercedes on behalf of Saul. He loved him. And it's like many, many have speculated as to whether the die was already cast. Was there even room for repentance? Or was Saul just already completely rejected? But Samuel was interceding for Saul. In verse 12, it says that, So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed, check this out. Samuel gets up from that prayer session with God where he's interceding for Saul. God's telling him, I'm finished with Saul. I'm finished with him. Samuel's interceding for him, pleading for him. Doesn't want him to finish with him. Wants wants to salvage the situation. And he finds out. He gets up the next day and he finds out that Saul has done something. It says that Samuel rose early in the morning and he went to meet Saul. And it was told Samuel saying, Saul went went to Carmel. And indeed, he set up a mountain for himself. And he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. While pretending to sacrifice to God, he had been sacrificing to his own ego. And in addition to his disobedience, he had built a monument to himself. So he's getting proud, and pride goes before a fall, and haughty destruction, you know, haughty spirit before destruction. It brings us to verse 13, again, where we want to get somewhere here. It says, Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. Now watch this interaction. There, they come. There's, Saul, Saul loves Samuel. Samuel loves Saul. But now he's getting frustrated. And they interact. They come together. Samuel goes to him and says, Saul. Saul says to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Basically, something, you know, <laughs> something always happens, by the way, to betray the man who professes to be what he is not. At some awkward moment, there will always be some sheep bleeding in the background. Sheep that should have been slaughtered have a way of showing up at the most inopportune times, don't they? <laughs> and here we see it says that then Samuel said, Well, what is it then? What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I even hear now? You've done everything the Lord commanded you to do. This was his opening salvo, right? Blessed is the Lord. I've done everything he's asked of me. That was his greeting. And Samuel says, oh, really? As the sheep are in the background. It's basically, you know what? Your sins will find, guys, our sins will find us out. It will. It shows up. And guess what? It shows up at the most inopportune times. What's there? will ultimately show up some way, somehow. When God tells us, listen, here's why, guys. What we've been talking about is important. When God tells us to kill something, to remove it from our lives, and we don't, we are going to play with things that are eventually going to destroy us or hurt us and damage us significantly, and it will show up. We cannot ignore the voice of the Lord when he is telling us to remove something completely, to turn from it. Saul... Saul was very clearly told there can be nothing spared. What he did was he kept alive the king and he saved all the choicest of the things. And so he did not follow completely through. He only did what he wanted to do. Verse 14, But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, Well, they, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God and the rest we have utterly destroyed. And this was his attempt to justify himself. The people 
spared the best. First, he suggested he had perfectly obeyed. Secondly, that's the first thing. Remember, first thing, I, I did everything I was supposed to do. Oh, well, what about these sheep? Well, it's the people. So the next thing he does is he blames the people. And then thirdly, he makes it clear, but, oh, but it was meant to sacrifice to the Lord. Anyway, it's, a, it's, an ex, it's funny because it's amazing the way that we can rationalize things in our life and we start blaming other people, blaming leaders, blaming this, blaming that, not addressing it, not owning it, not listening directly. I mean, the first, the bottom line was he didn't own it. He didn't obey God. He did not follow through with what God asked him to do. And then instead of owning up to that, he, he starts to make excuses, starts to blame other people. And then, but I meant to do it, it's going to be a sacrifice to the Lord. And, and, the, and the more he talked, the more disgusted, the more hurt, the more upset Samuel becomes. It's like, you know how someone just starts talking when they're caught red-handed on something? They just kind of keep talking and talking and talking. And finally Samuel says, shut up. Quit talking. Don't say any more. Because remember, Samuel has been fighting for his man. He's been fighting for Saul. Not, and this incident in 15 is, the, is not the first incident that starts it all off. There's earlier stuff that goes on. And Samuel's trying to contend for him. He's trying to hold him. Finally, he says, stop it. We acquit it. Will you quit trying to get out of this thing? Will you quit deceiving me? Will you quit giving me the angles? I can't tell you. Been doing this enough. Now, it's amazing what people can do. And now a lot of times, well, we, we, get, we get put in situations. I remember a guy we, we brought in the office. And we, I love this. We love this guy. I loved him. And he had been messing around with some, a lot of, he had been messing around with a lot of ladies in the church and making it very difficult for us because we were getting reports back and forth. We knew stuff. We were being lied to. It was just a mess. And I, but the thing is, I liked him. I really did. And I said, bro, and I said, is there anything you want to tell us? There was a particular incident that had come up. I said, is there anything that we should know about? No. I go, are you, are you sure? <laughs> I go, I think, I go, I go, usually in this situation, it's better for a person to just kind of come clean so you're really sure that there's nothing we, because you know what I'm saying? There's one thing about having to say, hey, here, here, here's what you're doing, da 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 And someone to say, hey, you know what, I own this, this is what I've done. It was like squeezing. So I said, well, okay, how about this? Well, yeah, 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 it's kind of true, nothing more. I said, are you sure there's nothing more you want to tell us? No, that's it. Okay, how about this? Well, yeah, you know, um, that's, you know, it was like each step of the way, I kept saying, please, brother, don't lie to me straight to my face. At each step of the way, it wasn't until we could put the evidence on the table, and then it was an acknowledgement. And I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You think God's going to bless that? Man, just come clean with stuff. I'm not even to say what it was or who it was, but I will tell you, this, this is very common. And you know what I've noticed, too, a lot of times? When we want to justify ourselves, it's easy to blame someone else um, for this or that, whatever. But you know what? God's going to hold us accountable at the end of the day. At the end of the day. Because when God's telling us to do something, and he might, he might give us the word of the Lord came, comes to Saul through Samuel. And he's trying, and the more he talks the more saddened Samuel becomes. And it's like, will you just stop it? Will you stop it? Will you stop it? Don't want to hear, don't bring God into it. Don't start making yourself look righteous. What are you doing? You didn't obey. You did what you wanted to do. You're getting caught up in this thing. Now you're lying to me? Just stop talking. Be quiet. Notice, this is what he says. 
Samuel says to Saul, be quiet. The first four, be, verse 16. I will, you know what? Be quiet. Stop it. I'm going to tell you what the Lord, I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And Saul said, what did he say? Tell me. Samuel said this. When you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? And now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil? Why did you do evil in the sight of the Lord? He reminds him of his humble origins, doesn't he? And how it was God who put him in his position. Because he had wanted to make... Why? Because he wanted to make a profit on the expedition to enrich himself, to swoop the word, swoop, think about the phrase, swoop down on the spoil like a bird picking up its prey. And he says, what are you doing? Verse 20, and Saul said to Samuel, but, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and I've gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. And I brought back Agag, king of the Amalek, and, and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of things, which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. But I have obeyed. He holds to his story. He foolishly tries to argue the point, even though he's been busted. And I've seen this a hundred times. Caught red-handed, and, and yet he's good. And it's funny what happens when people get caught a lot of times is just to be able to twist the angle a little bit. And by the way, it is the exact opposite of what David did. Because what David does when he's caught, and you could argue his sin is worse. You could, if you weren't God, which we aren't. But he, he David acknowledges his sin and says, I, I, have, I am guilty. The Lord is just in all his ways. You know, create in me, this whole, that Psalms 51 is, the, is an acknowledgement of absolute guilt. It hits him square and he receives it. But when Saul gets it, he evades, he angles out, he tries to play with words, he tries to justify, he shifts things around. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Do you understand what it means to that how God can't use that. We'll never be what we could be if we can't squarely face things and own it when we blow it and quit trying to take the angle out of things. And Saul, Saul is trying to do this now, and he says, I have obeyed. And here's the great immortal response, verse 22. So Samuel said to him, has the Lord, look, has the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? as in obeying his voice, the voice of the Lord. Behold, I tell you, he says, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken unto God than the fat of rams. The Lord doesn't want your sacrifice. You're telling me you say it all this, you can sacrifice. God doesn't care about your God. What God cares about is you do what he says. We don't tell God how we're going to serve him. It's his terms, not our terms. We don't say, okay, you know, I'm going to honor you this way, God. But the Lord is saying, I don't want you. I don't, I don't want that. I want you to obey me. To obey is better than He says, no, 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 to obey is better. You know, listen, God's not interested in your burnt offerings. He's interested in your obedience, Saul. And there is no substitute for obedience. Jesus says, I don't want your praise. I want your heart. I mean, John, John 15 reminds us that, I just, I don't want to break out of the passage too far, but in John 15, 14, Jesus said this. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Right? What I command you to do. Do what I say. I don't want your praise. I want your submission to my word and my will for your life. The trouble with Saul is that he thought he could, listen, you guys, he thought he could serve God his own way. And I think that's, that's true to varying degrees in most of us, but there are some things that God demands us to yield, but our pride is not letting them go. And obvious sin is one of the things that needs to be let go. There's no question about it. 
But a lot of times there are other things that we're sort of holding on to and we're not really letting them go. And God's trying to get our attention to let them go. And Samuel goes on and he says this. He says, verse 23, rebellion. Listen, he says rebellion. I mean, this is a powerful statement. Rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. What? What? Rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is an iniquity, is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king, being king, period. But I was going, wow, the Bible is full of warnings about the spirit of rebellion, which we see here is compared to witchcraft. And I mean, I can't even think, I mean, in an occultic practice. Why? Can anybody think, why would that be, why? Be, who was the first rebel? That's it. It's not a, it's, it's the first rebel that we are ever made aware of in God's universe is, is the enemy himself, Lucifer, Satan. And so, so it, it's not as far a stretch as we think because the first sin was pride and rebellion. These were the, the this movements. And, and you know, this, this whole idea, ultimately all rebellion against God's ordained authority is from, from the pit. And I... And I don't think we usually classify stubbornness with iniquity or idolatry, but God does. And I'm just going to say that, you know, some of us are too stubborn for our own good. Let me show you a psalm, one of my favorites, Psalm 32. Look at Psalm 32, verse 8. Check out what it says. Our stubbornness is going to get the best of us. We've always got to have an angle. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Brothers, do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and a bridle, or else no one can come near to you. This whole idea of don't be like the, ho- <laughs> don't be like the horse or like the mule. Stubborn. The problem with Saul was... He was stubborn as a mule. God wanted to guide him with his eye, but stubbornness represents his own will. And willfulness is something that, that God can't use. It gets in the way of God. And by the way, let me just point that out, that it's willfulness, really. If stubbornness is willfulness, then willfulness is really a refusal to submit to doing it God's way. We want to do it our own way. Whenever we want to do, do life our own way, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. That's just kind of what happens. It's kind of what happens. It's kind of par for the course. And again, you think about how David, David's reaction compared to Saul's was so different. When he was confronted in Psalm 51, in verse 16 and 17, his, his response is so different, right? It's like, for you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering, or else I would give it. I mean, it's the exact opposite, right? What does he say? He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart you will not despise. These, O God, you will not despise. Where Saul failed through stubbornness, David won through submission. And so I guess, you know, we're talking about victory, we're talking about breakthrough in God, but now I'm going to get down to the most basic element. I mean, if we're stubborn and we're not listening, we're going to be our own worst enemy. If we're living in duplicity and we're not following through the things that God's putting in our heart to do, we're going to undermine what he's trying to do in us. And I really want to appeal to some of us to consider the fact that one of the first things we need to take care of is making sure that our heart does not have a root of willfulness in it that's going to undermine what God's trying to do. These things show up. And again, when, we, when God's asking us to do something, we do it halfway or half-hearted or we, or we kind of, you know, we're playing both sides of the, you know, We're just sort of doing a little bit. We're dabbling here. We're dabbling there. And I'm going to suggest that it's not going to work. And you think about the three three men, David, Samuel, and Saul. I mentioned that Saul was yesterday's man. What What do we mean by that? Saul was a man who had the crown, but he lost the anointing. He was someone who was no longer hearing from God. You watch him. What happens to him is tragic. 
because of his willfulness and stubbornness and pride and his, his desire to dictate the terms of his obedience, what hap, of his service to God, what ends, ultimately ends up happening is God's hand is removed from him. The anointing leaves. He has the crown. He has no anointing. He gets to the point. The Bible used to come to, the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord used to come to Saul and he was a prophet. He, think about it. Saul was not only a king, he was a prophet. The Spirit of the Lord would come to him. It got so bad by the end of his life, he has to go to a witch to consult a medium. And one of the most bizarre passages in the entire Bible is right there. And I don't even, it's, it's bizarro. But it shows the depth. In fact, we know that, that, that an, uh, an evil spirit would come to Saul and would trouble him. In that fact, David's music would play the praises and it would, it would settle the spirit that would come to him. And there was a violent streak to him as well fascinating stuff but to watch a person devolve he was a king here's this man with a with a, a, a crown and he had no anointing he's he he had he had lost what god wanted him to become and then you have Samuel. you know why samuel was today's man is because samuel had to decide was he going to what was he going to do with god's word to him and you look at uh, go just one more time first samuel 16 just this will be the last verse we'll look at it in all the story but look at first Samuel 16 verse 1 now the Lord said to Samuel how long will you mourn for Saul seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel I want you to fill your hornet with oil and go I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have provided myself a king among his sons here this is the most crucial point in the entire ministry of Samuel's life because he is bothered by what God is doing. He doesn't want to do it. How long will you mourn for him? You got to let it go if you're going to be my man. It's not, see, each one, it, you know what the interesting thing is? He was having a hard time letting it go. You, you, a lot of times we get put in a spot where God is asking us to do something. We don't want to do it. It's not what we wanted. And everything is going to depend on our willingness to do what he's asking us to do. And the key to Samuel being the man, the, the, the man that he was supposed to be, the man that God was going to use, the key to him was being willing to let go of Saul and to do what he didn't want to do. What was he going to do in this moment? Was he going to do what God asked him to do? And then, of course, David. David gets the crown. I mean, David gets the anointing. But he did, how many, you know how many years it was till he gets the crown? 20 years. One man had the crown, one man had the anointing, and one man had to do what he didn't want to do. Three different responses to God. David ends up getting tested in his own way. He's got the promise sitting on his life, and yet he's, get, he's sitting under abuse of authority. <clears throat> Stuck. Stuck with a calling in his life. Stuck with a promise in his life. Stuck with the presence of God in his life. And yet he doesn't get the crown. And he's given opportunities to get it. And he won't do it until God's time. It's beautiful. But again, you see all three of them right here in verse number one. Yesterday's man, today's man, Samuel, and, and, and tomorrow's man. All right there in that verse 16.1. And the key to it all is you can lose you can lose what God's wanting to do in your life if you treat, if, you are, if we are willful and we ignore what God, our God's warnings, we can lose. But the other thing is we can get to a point where we own things too much and we just need to yield them to the Lord. That's Samuel. Let them go. Trust God. And say, Lord, it is well. You do it. The Lord's will be done. And I, I don't know. To me, that really stands out. Where Saul failed through stubbornness, listen, David, David won through submission. And so let me just suggest to you, it takes, God uses broken things, it takes broken soil to produce a crop. This takes us full circle, it takes broken clouds to what? To get rain. Broken grain to give bread. Broken bread to give strength. It's the broken alabaster box that, you know, sends forth the perfume. And it's Jacob's limping from Jabok. It gives them power with God and men. I mean, God uses broken things. It's Peter weeping bitterly 
who later returns with greater power than ever to serve God. God can take our brokenness and use it. Stubbornness, you know what? Stubbornness is essentially unbroken self. Stubbornness is essentially unbroken self. And God's invitation is to die to ourselves that we might live. The Bible says the Macedonian church, Paul writes, he says, before they ever gave their money, they gave themselves. And I think a lot of times God is waiting. God is going to test us to see. So, okay, Lord, so what, what is the Lord trying to say to us? Lord, as we're here before you, just before you now, and this word is different than the word we've been sitting with, so we're just right now in this place. What is it that you're trying to say, Lord? But that would it be possible that it is fruitless for some of us, God, to aspire to certain things if we're not willing to address other issues in our own heart? Maybe for some of us the stronghold is bitterness and it's an unwillingness to forgive. And that will prevent certainly the anointing to, of the, the, the power of the presence of God, the, the hand of the Lord with us from showing up, Lord. There are things that we can harbor that can keep us from experiencing your strength with us. And perhaps your word, you're already highlighting things the in, in, inside of our own heart, Lord, stuff that we're either holding on to that's very real to us, Lord, but it might be attitudes. Sometimes it's not just the the um, the obvious sin. Sometimes it's the, the less obvious thing that is keeping us from really moving forward into what you have for us, Lord. Certainly, there are things in us, Lord, that if we're ever going to be able to, to lead well and to be able to influence well and to be the kind of person and a pillar that we aspire and feel called to be in many cases, to really grow and flourish like that tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also doesn't wither. Lord, if that's what we're supposed to be, then Lord, deliver us from any kind of stubbornness and willfulness, God. That, that just, you know, and, and also playing the angles, Lord. And not really coming clean with stuff, Lord. That's why you gave us brothers, and, and that's why we've been called to just be honest and to be real. So we talked about that ruthless honesty that willingness to just come clean before you, God. You're not afraid of our sin and of our weakness. You, you, it, it, that doesn't make us ineligible. It's our pride and our stubbornness that makes us ineligible, God. That's what removes it. And if you're asking us to do something, Lord, give us the responsive ear. Let us not dabble. If you're saying eliminate, then let us eliminate. If you're saying, get rid of it all, get rid of it, then help us, Lord, to get rid of it all. If you're saying, it's got to get cut off, then help us to cut it off. If you're saying, we need to come clean with stuff we've been doing to get better, confess your faults one to another, pray for one another that you may be healed. Lord, we know that that is something you give. It's a gift, a gift of healing. And yet, Lord, how many times do we hold back? We hold back and, and we, we, we don't. We live in the shadows. We live in that world. Just like the, the man we saw last night, just creating our own world, Lord. And we're not coming clean. We're not being real. We're not really honest with you. And we're, we're trying to serve you. And we are in so many ways. And yet we're holding things back in the secret. And surely our sin will find us out. Lord God, give us courage to be honest. And I, so that's one thing I pray for, Lord. The other thing I pray for is that some of us really, God, you're trying to get our attention because there are some character flaw issues inside of us that have to do with patterns of behavior that we've established just being in the world. And there's a tendency towards a duplicity. Um, we, we say one thing in the presence of the congregation of the righteous, but our own lips betray us, Lord, as we undermine the things that you've called us to honor. And Lord, surely you will reveal all things. Surely nothing is hidden from your eyes. Lord, you said that one of the true signs of wisdom and the anointed life will ultimately, ultimately be the fear of the Lord. I pray that you would give us a healthy fear of you. 
like David, that we would not touch the things that clearly are of your hand, God, but instead seek to be healed of things that are causing stuff to come out of us, Lord, that are, that are not pleasing to you. And, and where are they coming from, Lord? Let's look at that. Let's be honest about it. You're in the healing business. So I just pray, Lord, out of our brokenness that you use us. You do, Lord. You, you, you do not expect us, nor do you have any illusions about our frame, Lord. You know what we are. But you love us. You call us. You've got a calling in an, over each one of our lives, Lord. I just pray that we would live in the fullness of what you've planned for us. Redeem. Uh, redeem. The beautiful thing, Lord, is we don't live in the old. We live in the new. Because of Christ, you can take that which is dead and lost and make that tree that has no ability to bring forth life. You can send forth a new branch out of it, God, and cause it to flourish in fresh and new ways. I know that. I've seen it. Lord, you can recover the years that have been eaten by the locust. And that which has been devoured, Lord, you can return it to us in greater measure sometimes, Lord. It's amazing what you can do if we'll let you do it. And I just really pray, Lord, that you would cause us to be inspired about your ways. Cause us to be inspired about what it means to be strong in the Lord and to, be, to have an obedient ear to what it is you're trying to say to us. Not to be willful and go our own way, but to listen and to humble our hearts, Lord. We want to listen. We want to be like Samuel, Lord. We want to do it even when it doesn't, even when we don't want to do it. We want to listen and do it. We want to do what you ask of us, God. We are, we are brought to places like your prophet was where we're being asked to do something that maybe we don't want to do. But we're being asked to do it. And everything will hinge on our willingness to move with you. If we are going to be used of you, Lord, if we're going to have the word of the Lord flowing through us, then we have to listen when you're calling us and asking us to address things. I pray that you would give us the listening ear. So speak, Lord. Your servant hears. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. I pray for this, Lord. I pray for the blessing on my brothers. I pray for an expansion of ministry, an expansion of anointing, an expansion of calling. I, I truly do. I pray for the breaking down of strongholds of the evil one. I, pr I come against the darkest places in the corners, Lord. I pray that there be nothing hidden from your eyes. Lord, when we have nothing to hide, then we are free. We really are. We're free people. When we know our heart is right before you, not perfect, Lord, because we know we fail. But the bottom line is, Lord, the stronger we can get, Lord, the more whole we can get, God, the more our ability to be a blessing is, and that's what you called us to be. Everyone, every man in this room has been called to be a blesser and a giver of life. And I, and I pray that we would be empowered to see what you can do through our lives, God, if we are willing to move with you. So I, I just pray for this, Lord. Let us be life givers and life bringers. Uh, anoint the rest of our evening. After we take this break, Lord, we'll come back and we'll finish up with this next piece, which I'm looking forward to, God. But stir our hearts about what you want to do and what you want to remove. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.